<laughs> so uh, I was at Presbytery a couple of weeks ago, um, and uh, it, it turns out that when you uh, have a new Presbytery minister, a lot of the things that the old Presbytery minister did seem to be forgotten, seem to go by the wayside. Uh, we had a wonderful experience where um, I walked in, and I was really proud of myself because I walked in early. Uh, as a father of six, arriving anywhere early is a bit of a miracle. Um, and uh, I had my cup of coffee there, and I'm, I got my tablet, <clears throat> and I'm walking in there, and I'm like, oh, and people are running. Like, I'm not kidding, like full bold, sprinting, running backwards and forwards. What is going on? Uh, and it turns out that, that nobody really knew how to set up the PA system. Nobody really knew how to set up the computer. Nobody really knew. And, and so I'm like, oh. Okay, um, how can I help? Next thing you know, I had 15 people yelling orders at me and telling me what to do and things like that. Um, so it was an interesting experience. You know, I went in there and I felt like the general presbytery dog's body running around <laughs> fixing all of these little things that were going on uh, in, the, in, in that space so that we could go ahead and have our very crucial presbytery meeting with our nominations and everything that uh, Pauline reported to us last week. But the funniest thing that I found, and I bring this to you as a sermon illustration for today, was this moment where somebody was trying to connect up the PA system and they were holding a lead. And they said they, they kept putting one lead in one end and then the other lead in another end and they were never, nothing was happening. And they were very, very confused. Why is this happening? And so I looked at the lead and I followed it and, and I'm following it around and I'm it's a very long lead. I'm following it, and I'm following it, and then like, oh, then it looks back. So I'm coming back this way over here, and as I'm coming back, I'm coming back, and, and, and there's this person holding the other end of the lead. And, and I said, oh, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. So I'm going to take those two from you. I'm going to plug this end over here, and this end I'm going to plug over here. And hallelujah, it all started working out. Romans 8 is a little bit like that. Because it actually connects all that is the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. And if you actually get it right, it can make things work. Are you with me, church? Nicky Gumbel, the, the, the guy who wrote the Alpha course. You are familiar with Alpha, yes? Yeah. So he actually says that the book of Romans is the Himalayas of the Bible. It's the highest part of all Scripture. Because in it, you've got, you find such profound teaching that is so clear, so understandable, so accessible. And if Romans is the Himalayas, then Mount Everest is Romans 8. Because that is the crescendo, that is the peak of it. And this morning, I want to take great privilege... In telling you all about it. Now, our series at the moment is What Is? And that is part of what is so important and crucial for us to understand as modern Christians. So I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray and commit this time to the Lord. Father, be in our midst. Bless us with an understanding of your word. Bless us with connectivity. Bless us with a way to be able to hear your voice. And let it be that we know understand and make this work for our lives and that we then go forward from this place and testify of this to all those who will hear 
And so I commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, why is Romans Mount Everest? Romans 8. Because it actually has this wonderful outline of all scripture in the one chapter. Think about it. In, uh, in verses 19 to 22, it mentions creation over and over again, doesn't it? That is a way of saying, hey, this is part of God's created order. Because here is the thing, my friends. To understand salvation, we need to understand what God was doing throughout all of, all of Scripture. So we then jump into, and it talks about the fall. There are these verses that are talking about the flesh and the groaning and the weight of sin. These are to do with the fall. I, I even realized as, as you were reading, Phil, it also talks about nakedness and a sword. What's that referring to? Anybody? The sword of the cherubim. And who was naked? Adam, not Abraham. <laughs> That's all right. We'll talk about him later. <laughs> and then we find there's language of promise. There's language of land. And that and children. That is all Abraham and the claiming of the promise. So you have this clear trajectory. Yesterday we were at a leaders retreat. We talked a lot about trajectory. And we said trajectory is about a direction in which you're going, but not necessarily about a point. It's not about it ending somewhere. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about salvation, we've always talked about an end, haven't we? We've always talked about God saving us when we die. God saving the world when it is over. And I shared with you those two lovely Greek words, soteriology and eschatology, and how these have been so much the, the thinking in the Christian world. But salvation is not about God rescuing us from something. Salvation is about God preserving that which He had originally intended. God did not intend for sin to enter the world. God did not intend for evil to enter the world. God did not intend for there to be pain and suffering and rancor. God intended for His whole creation and existence to be what? Good. He said, He created and He looked at it and He said, Ha even dov. It is what? Good. And that is what we need to remember. Because God wants to... Sorry, there's a fly that's coming over at me. I'm doing the matrix dodge over the fly. Sorry. Sorry to distract you with that. We need to remember that God's desire was to preserve that which He originally created. You. You in all your goodness. You in all your wonderfulness. You in all your loveliness. That is what God had intended from the very beginning of His creation. And if you doubt it, if you think, but I'm such a nasty person or I've got evil in my heart. You've got to remember that those, that hand that wants to save you, that wants to preserve that goodness in you and who you are, that hand carved the canyons and the rivers that shaped the mountains. If he's capable of that, then of course he's capable of preserving the goodness that is you and I. The Bible talks about the earth and humanity. 
being the center of God's creation. And people say, aha, see, the Bible is wrong because science says that the earth is not actually in the center of the universe. To which I say, that is a figurative illusion. What it means is that the earth and God's children are the most important things. And as a father, I can relate. And I know many of us can relate to that feeling. That feeling of frustration. That feeling of, oh, if I could just... But that ultimately coming out of a place of love. And that is what Paul is trying to express here in Romans. Thank you, Betty. By the way, um, just so you know, I, I have been tempted to print up lost posters. My clicker has gone missing. Uh, so <laughs> if anybody finds it, it answers to clicky. Uh, and I love him very much. I find I can't sleep without him. So, um, you know, I, I love having him at the end of my bed. And if you see him around the place at all, please let me know. And uh, I'd love to be restored to my dear, beloved clicky. Um, it certainly makes my life a lot easier. Um, so Romans 8, 35 to 37, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is a rhetorical question in both senses of the word. Paul is actually saying, no one, no one, not you, not me, not their ideas, not his ideas, no one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, shall hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness or danger or the sword No. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. And we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What is salvation? Salvation is about overcoming. Salvation is about overcoming what? It's about overcoming the world. About overcoming the state of the world. Yes. Salvation is about overcoming sin and evil and hate. Yes. Not because we are so powerful and so good and so awesome. But because God is doing that work in us, through us and through our works. But do you know what I think is the hardest way in which to be an overcomer, a conqueror? It's when you've got to overcome Self. It's that time and that moment where we look at what God is doing, what God is, 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 is able to do in our lives, and we, we go, oh, thank you, Lord. That's, that's very kind, but I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I know my Bible well enough. I don't know if I've got the good stuff for you to use me that way. So think about the guy who wrote this. Saul of Tarsus. He had to change his name to Paul. Do you know why? Because Saul had been a murderer. Saul had been an accuser of the brethren. Saul had been one who stood by and allowed people to be killed, beaten and persecuted. That is his reality. But he writes here. In confidence and authenticity that everything that he did wrong, Christ was able to redeem. And he committed his life unto death, unto martyrdom. To share the gospel of that Christ whom he had persecuted. 
Do you think he was good enough? Do you think he had the good stuff? He certainly knew his Bible. But that just convinced him of everything that he had done wrong. It was only when Christ literally knocked him off his horse and made him humble himself that he could look up and go, Lord, I am sorry. I will follow you. So this is why it's so important for us to understand. On the floor, on the ground, bathed in light at the foot of his horse, Saul became Paul. Saul was humbled to the point where he could be used as that instrument of God. And that's why I say sometimes the hardest thing for us to be overcomers in is overcoming ourselves. Thank you, Betty. So that psalm that he quotes, what does it say? Well, I'm not going to give you the whole thing. It's quite long, 28, 29 verses, if memory serves. But it's actually a psalm of the sons of Korah. And it talks about how the Jewish people had all of the people around them who hated them, who wanted to kill them, who wanted to obliterate them and wipe them off the face of the earth. No, no comment. (laughs) And the sons of Korah were lamenting the fact that they saw enemies on all sides and at any point they could come after them. So they write a beautiful song. A song of lament. A song of broken heartedness. Now the songs of the sons of Korah, where do you think they were sung? Where were they sung? Come on, tell me. I've, I have told you before, by the way. I'm just going to say, pop quiz. In, in the shower. I think the songs of Korah are sung in the shower now more than they were back then. So, but, but good try. That was good they were sung on the footsteps of the temple. In the communal space where everyone who feared the Lord, Gentile, Jewish person, men, Women, children could come and gather. They could stand there in the courts of Solomon's temple. And that is where they were sung. And here, you can imagine people are coming in. They're bringing their sacrifices. By the way, I want you to think about this, right? Back in the days of the sons of Korah, families would all save up and rejoice. And they would be like, okay, we're going to go in. We're going to buy a heifer. We're going to buy a cow. And we're going to do, we're going to take that. And that's going to be our sacrificial offering. And they would go and they would lead this cow as an act of worship. Yeah? As an act of worship. They would go and take this animal to its death. What a crazy idea. What a crazy concept. And as they were doing so, there were people singing. There were marching bands. There were all of this stuff that was going on. There was this whole procession. Because that was a moment of celebration. Because they didn't understand... Or they didn't have this cross. They didn't have what he describes in Romans 8. We have to understand this to comprehend what the sons of Korah are saying here. Because they're saying that the ones who are suffering like those sheep and cows. That's also Israel. Sacrificed 
for the sin of the world so that God's will, God's righteousness, God's redemption will be poured out through them. Through all the ones who follow, who are followers of God. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days long ago. The song describes being led by the right hand of God from persecution, through wilderness, through thirst, through hunger, through boils and sores. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. Salvation for that generation was a reminder that while the enemy was at bay, God was still there to be their rescue to be their succor, to be their salvation. That's why Paul takes those words. Now, Paul was a Jewish person. He hears those words and he hears the description of his ancestors and it is speaking to him. It is connecting with him in a very real way. It is his own blood calling out to him and saying, Paul, this has been your blood that was shed, your people's blood. And then he takes that gift and he goes, here, all you Christians, this is now for you. Because this is that God who when I was on the ground with it falling off the horse, said to me, do not persecute me, but spread my gospel. I don't know if Nicky looked at it from that point of view. Maybe he did. Maybe that's part of the reason why he says it's the Mount Everest of all scripture. Because it is life changing stuff. If you get it, if you are ready to understand it, if you are ready yourself to come off that horse and fall before the feet of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Betty. So I wanted to share with you what the apostle says. Alain Tortois Passin Hooper Nicomen Diato Agapisantos Himas. Can you hear that? There's something there about the way how he says that that is exciting. Let me read it for you again. Alain Tortois Passin Hooper Nicomen Diato Agapisantos Himas. By the way, those little markers, they tell me where to put the emphasis. So those pauses are intentional. What does it say, you might be asking yourselves? Thank you, Betty. In all things beyond hyper victors, we are. Where it says conquerors, It's not a colonial term. It's overcomers. Hyper victors. Because this behind me, this is a Roman electric chair. 
This is a symbol of death. Yet we lift it up over our gravestones, over our churches. We wear it around our necks. Why? Because it's no longer a symbol of death as it was 2,000 years ago. It is now a symbol of victory. And that victory is that Christ overcame hyper-victor, uper-nikomen. That death and that cross. And did He do it for Himself? No. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for our children. He did it for the, for the children who will populate this church. He did it for the children who came before and who occupied this space. Did you know there has been an, a continuous worship presence here for over 150 years? This is sacred land. People have been in here sowing the seed of righteousness for all that time. Why? Because this is no longer a symbol of defeat, of death. This is a symbol of victory. In all things, says Paul, we are beyond hyper victories. I said to you before, soteriology, eschatology, they all kind of point to a specific time, to a specific point, don't they? Salvation, we've always thought about it as it's after the grave or it's at the end of days. But do you think Paul thinks that? Of course not. Because he says we are beyond, outside of time. God's salvation, God's victory is happening right now. I shouldn't hit that so hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's happening right now. It's happening in your lives. It's happening in my life. It's happening in the community. It's happening where we see drug addicts released, where we see the, the poor can't come and find their respite, where we see healing, where we see miracles. But above all else, for me, the greatest miracle of all is when a person turns their life to Christ, when they are down on the ground and they are looking up and they go, Lord, I am sorry. I shared with you my testimony. I had lost everything. I grew up a Christian. I lived in, uh, in church houses all my life. My father was a minister. But it wasn't until I left my father's home and I went out into the world and I, I built myself up a happy life. I was earning good money. I had a, a nice apartment with friends. I used to go out drinking and doing whatever I wanted to. That was my life. And in one week, seven, seven, seven days, <laughs> in seven days, I lost it all. I lost my job, got kicked out of my apartment, my friends stopped calling me, and it wasn't anything I did. It wasn't my fault. It's just that this world sometimes chews you up and spits you out. And in that moment, I said, I was at my mother's house. And my mother had just done this double shift at Blue Care. She was a carer at the time. And so she was lying in her bed, and I said to her, Mom, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I, I, I thought I had made it. I thought I had security. She says to me, my son, you know, the only security we have is in Jesus. And in that moment, at the foot of my mother's bed, we both knelt and prayed. And that was a moment that changed my life. Yeah, I used to sing in church. I used to play the drums. I used to pick up the guitar. I used to... Um, 
I used to be involved in youth groups. I, I was one of your Queensland Presbyterian representatives to the World Youth Presbyterian Council in Seoul, Korea. But it wasn't until that moment that I truly understood because I found myself on the floor having been knocked off my horse in a very literal way. That was the miracle of my life, my friends. And we see that miracle time and time and time again. How does God achieve this? Dia, sorry, dia to agapisantos himas. Dia to agapisantos himas. Through the one that loved us. I want to be really clear here. I'm not suggesting in any way that your Bibles are wrong or that you have to go away and learn Greek in order to be able to understand Scripture. I'm just saying that sometimes, sometimes when we have an opportunity, we can tap in to hear the very voice of the author. The the structure of the language, the the way how it's taught, it's it's there. It's there for that reason. And here we hear that. We hear that in both instances, the person is last. The one who is to hear the sentence is last. That is you and me. Because the work cannot begin with us, can it? The work was done at that cross. The work began with our Lord. And in Romans, in Romans 8, it begins with that reality that sin entered the world through one man, but sin would be defeated and overcome by the love of another, the last Adam. Thank you, Betty. I love this image. I love the simplicity of this image. Because, friends, this is our destiny. This is our future. We're not to be incarcerated. We're not to be locked up and locked away for eternity. We are to find an open door in Christ our Lord. And we have the assurance that He has opened that door for us. And all we need to do is walk through. The empty tomb of Christ our Lord is an offer to each and every one of us. Not just at Easter, but every day. Betty. In John, Jesus says these words. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world and now I am leaving the world to go back to the Father. He then has a conversation with the disciples very briefly where they're saying, no, please don't leave. Please stay with us. We love you. And then he explains. A time is coming and in fact has come. Remember that beyond? When you will be scattered, each to your own home, and you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 
when I felt in the spirit to preach to you what is salvation, I went away and I wrote four pages of good, profound theology. And then I felt the spirit go, now select control all, delete. Because I wrote what I know about salvation. And I thought to myself, yeah, this is, this is what needs to happen. You know, we need to, we're going to have a lecture series <laughs> on good, sound, decent theology. That's what I thought. The spirit was like, no. <laughs> but he let me write it anyway. Because as I did, I learned some things about me. The first thing that I learned was I can talk for a long time. I mean... <laughs> the fact that we try to keep it to about 25-30 minutes is a bit of a miracle honestly but I found out I could talk for a long time the second thing that I found out is there are times in which I'm looking at something and I can just be amazed by what God is saying and I want to share it I want to talk about it I want to expound it out to everyone but not everyone is ready to receive and that really hurts me it really does and what God was saying is that this, this isn't what I want you to say. Maybe someday in the future. Maybe. See, it's still there. It's still locked up in there. But he's saying right now, I want you to say something else. And when I deleted it, I had a sense of comfort. I had a sense of peace. Because I can tell you, I can talk about salvation all day long, but only one who has been to the Father... Only one who has gone there and has come back. Only one who can connect with you personally can actually share with you what it's all about. That has to be Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I'm grateful that we're finishing our discipleship series on that. Because you are disciples of Christ. Amen. We all need to follow him. Whether we're at the foot of the horse or even riding high, we need to be ready to follow him and listen to him. And I pray that this will be an ongoing journey for you and blessing for you in that. I invite you to bow your heads with me as we conclude this time in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have had to open your word, to know you and understand you better. Bless us. Bless us with your your amazing love testimony of your spirit at work in us and that father god will go from this place with an assurance and a knowledge that we are on a trajectory a trajectory that goes beyond uh, all that which we can imagine to find ourselves with you and that that is the most important thing so bless us bless us with this understanding i pray in jesus name amen